This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, last week we heard the prophet Isaiah speak of God's holy mountain. Mount Zion, the place of the temple, the place of right worship. He told us that peace would break out among us only in the measure that together we made the praise of God paramount. Remember, God's mountain raised above all the other mountains and hills. Now, our first reading for today, the second Sunday of Advent, takes us from chapter 2 of Isaiah to chapter 11. But we're continuing our exploration of the Lord's mountain. Isaiah comes back to this image again and again. The mountain Isaiah describes looks, if you want, both backward and forward. It looks back to Adam and the Garden of Eden, and it looks forward to Christ and the heavenly Jerusalem. Let me say that again, so just kind of keep this image in your mind. Think of Isaiah's holy mountain in the center of your of your mind. And it looks back to the Garden of Eden. It looks forward to Christ and the heavenly Jerusalem. I think we're meant to keep all these in our minds at once. God's intention was, looking back now to Eden, that we as human creatures would live within a watered garden. Symbolically, it means a place of integration and harmony under the aegis of God's law. Sin is the interruption of this harmony. So when Adam and Eve turned from God's ways and arrogated to themselves the prerogative of determining good and evil, they transformed in very short order the garden into a desert. This is the symbolically biblical way of talking about what was meant for us and what goes wrong. Now, to address this problem, God chose a people, the people Israel, a people who would listen to God and worship him aright and abide by his law. You see what all that means? their minds, their hearts, their bodies would become aligned unto God. That's the whole purpose of the Old Testament law and liturgy and covenant and prophecy. All of it was meant to bring Israel back online in the hopes that the beauty of their friendship with the Lord would then be a beacon to the rest of the world bringing everyone to the praise of the true God and restoring thereby the beauty and peace of Eden. Again, keep in mind that kind of missionary purpose. Adam was meant to be the priest and king of Eden, but his purpose was ultimately missionary. 
to Edenize the world. Israel, too, is meant to be a new Eden. Israel's a new Adam, if you want. But Israel, too, had a missionary purpose to bring this life now to the whole world. Another step in this process, think of the great story of Noah's Ark. What is Noah's Ark but a floating Eden? A remnant, if you want, of God's good order snatched from the sinful world. Stay with that image for a little bit because we'll come back to it with Isaiah. This floating Eden where a remnant of God's good order is preserved and the animals on the ark, evocative of the animals that God created. Now, what's the instantiation of Noah's ark in space and time but the temple in Jerusalem? the temple which was the very center of Israelite life, the place of right praise. The temple was, if you want, Noah's Ark now come to rest. The temple was, if you want, Eden planted in the midst of Israel. And this is precisely why Isaiah sees the holy mountain as a kind of new garden. Now, as every prophet, including Isaiah, tells us, this holy mountain, this place of praise, was not altogether holy. The praise offered there not altogether righteous. And therefore Israel began to hope for a priest-king who would definitively preside over the holy mountain and set it utterly right. You see, now I'm looking forward. We look back from Isaiah's holy mountain to Eden, which it recapitulates. But now we look forward. What's the fulfillment of the holy mountain when it's utterly a place of right praise? This is what Isaiah is prophesying today. Listen. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. A spirit of counsel and strength. And his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. Whom is Isaiah speaking of? But the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Anointed One, who would be a new Adam, who would be a definitive David, who would be the shepherd king of the holy mountain. Adam in his sin took delight in resisting the Lord, but this new Adam will find joy precisely in surrendering to the Lord. The spirit of the Lord resting upon him, his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. And this will give him wisdom and understanding. In light of his submission to God, he will know what to do and how to live. You see how that works? Submission to God becomes a light of wisdom. I mentioned it last week. 
if we don't love God, we won't know what to do with the other goods of our lives. In fact, they're going to turn on us. But if we do love God, then we will have the wisdom and understanding to know how to deal with them. Further, this Mashiach, this Messiah, will set right what has gone wrong in God's good world. He will advocate the poor, and he will smash the ruthless with the rod of his mouth. That's the language of Isaiah. Listen to, justice shall be a band around his waist, and faithfulness a belt upon his hips. Justice, righteousness, right order. What was interrupted by original sin. Restored, you might say, imperfectly through Israel and through its temple. Will now, Isaiah prophesies, be perfectly fulfilled when the Mashiach comes. Then in one of the most lyrical and beautiful passages in the Old Testament, we hear what happens when this righteous king comes to rule on the holy mountain. Listen. Then the wolf shall be a guest of the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion shall browse together with a little child to guide them. Beautiful, yes indeed, but also redolent of all the themes I've been discussing. Can you see how this is a recapitulation first of Eden, a place where human beings and the animals, it means all the aspects of God's creation, live together in harmony? Do you see also how it's a recapitulation of Noah's Ark, the place where all the animals came together and lived in peace? It's a symbolically charged description of what happens when God is given right praise. Remember now what I told you last week about the goods of the world. When they are loved above all, conflict necessarily ensues, precisely because they're limited in form. If you're seeking with all your heart wealth or power or pleasure, you will come into conflict with others who are seeking those things in a similar way, because there's only so much to go around. But, but, when God is sought, God is worshipped above all, then all of us can harmoniously love him absolutely. He's the one good that can be loved by everybody without producing conflict. Now, what follows from all this, and it's a beautiful summary statement of the hope of Israel. Listen now, Isaiah says, there shall be no harm or ruin on my holy mountain, for the earth shall be filled with knowledge of the Lord as water covers the sea. What is that but an image of the Edenizing of the entire world? The whole world having become a temple. Think of the Jerusalem temple, that little remnant of Eden planted on the top of Mount Zion. It's meant to Edenize the whole world. That's what Isaiah sees. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as water covers the sea. Okay? With all of that in mind, I know it's a lot, it's a lot of, of the um, 
imagery and symbolism of the Old Testament. But with that in mind, flash forward from Isaiah about 600 years to a very strange figure haunting the Judean desert and eating honey and locust, wearing camel skin. Isaiah dreamed of a figure who would bring justice to God's holy mountain. John the Baptist sees him right around the corner. Listen. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not just a distant dream. John sees the kingdom will be concentrated in one great figure. Indeed, a figure so great that John doesn't feel worthy to carry his sandals. John baptizes with water, but this one will baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. It means he will dip the world, baptizain in Greek, he'll dip the world into the power of the divine life. Think of Isaiah's prediction about water covering the sea. The Mashiach that John sees right around the corner will baptize the world in the divine life. But this process is not going to be a walk in the park because the Savior has come, the Messiah has come, to set right an off-kilter world. That's why he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. The chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. It means he's going to separate light from darkness. He's going to separate virtue from sin and burn away what stands opposed to God. This is indeed the work of the one who has justice as a belt and righteousness as a band around his hips. This is indeed the one who will strike the ruthless with the rod of his mouth. This is Christ, the Mashiach, the anointed, the son of David, the priest ruler of the holy mountain, the new and definitive Adam, whom Isaiah saw from a distance and whom John announces to all of us today. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love.